0: Hi and welcome to Get With The Programme. I'm Holly and this is the podcast where we talk to the people who make TV about the programmes that they've loved making and watching. There's no Campbell this time uh, because we're combining a special news flash with my chat with Chris Lindsay which I did back at the start of last year. Uh, if you're listening to this um, the day it comes out and you're applying for one of our two talent schemes, the network and ones to watch, and you're panicking that the deadline is this Friday, fear not. We've extended the deadline until Monday the 30th of April at 10am so you've got three extra days over the weekend to get that application done and sent off. For help and advice about applying for either of the schemes just head to tvtalentschemes.co.uk and you'll find all the information you need plus links for the application forms. In the meantime, for a bit of application inspiration, here's my chat with wonderful writer Chris Lindsay, who I spoke to last year about um, becoming a writer, uh, his inspirations, the different programmes that he's enjoyed working on, uh, and lots of other things besides. So enjoy, and if you're putting together an application for the network or ones to watch, good luck. Very welcome. Today we are in a lovely... At All Bar One in scenic Edinburgh with uh, Smarties that Smarties. came with our cups of tea.
1: That's the crackling. Yeah, yeah. So listeners
0: if, of that. hear a tinkling sound. It's, it's just enjoying a shot glass full of Smarties. Uh, the classic way to start any healthy day. Um, so, Chris, I just wanted to get started on um, what was the programme that made you want to work on TV?
1: Yeah, I think um, I was raised by the television really, and there was never a time when watching tv wasn't my major way of learning about the world and engaging the world so it it was never that I kind of put on one day and went wow this is this is this is drama I must do that it was Mm -hmm. always part of how I saw the world and when I came to thinking about wanting to say something I always understood it in the context of I must make a television program I must write a story (laughs) about that and and put it on air but in terms of the some of the big landmark things that did really shifted my thinking or really sort of grabbed me Um, there's an 80s drama BBC did called Edge of Darkness which is kind of on the surface sort of hard-boiled thriller thing but really becomes something much bigger it's a sort of quasi-mystical spiritual journey this detective goes on and it's all about life and death and the end of the world and the the environment and um, huge government conspiracies and there was something so massive and all encompassing about it and that it had the guts to kind of say that this policeman's journey, it kind of blew it onto the biggest possible canvas and said the stakes are the stakes of the world, the stakes are everything we hold dear and it's astonishingly bleak and entirely inappropriate <laughs> for a child to be watching I mean How old
0: are you and gosh it, went, it? Well, it originally went in
1: 1985 and I can't have seen it then because I would I would have been three years old I think they repeated it in the early 90s yeah. on BBC 2 I would probably have been seven or eight years old and oh, yeah, it's quite it's, a, it's a it was a very I mean, if you've seen it I and mean, people are dying of radiation sickness people are assassinating each other people are spewing their guts out and, and it but uh, utterly <laughs> inappropriate and uh, my parents should be <laughs> chastised for it but the impact it had on me was just massive and it, it, I mean, still to this day influences my writing, still to this day influences what I'd love to do, you know, if I was given, given your own show and able to do what you want then I'd want to run to those places of, yeah, of, li- of life and death and, and everything in between uh, being up for grabs and that was a huge thing on me and then, year, a couple of years later, um, there's a new game and drama called Neverwhere, mm. which was a fancy thing that went out on the BBC and I, there was a sort of dearth of that sort of stuff in the early 90s. You know, Doctor Who had been cancelled in the 80s, yeah. which is a like, you know, hugely influential show of me, but I'd only, at the time, had only seen... I had very hazy memories of it, because I was a child when it was cancelled. And we just didn't make stuff like that on British telly. And then all of a sudden, there was this fantasy show on BBC Two. Uh, I would run home from my swimming club um, on the evenings it was on, because, you know, went out live, and you had to watch television live. Yeah. And... This, 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 again, the scope and the imagination and the passion and it was one of these things where like the budget in, in no way covered the ambition but you know I think in all things with TV isn't it there's their ambition and there's what's achievable and sometimes it's quite right to scale back ambition for what's achievable but you know now and again I'd much rather see something that fails visually and fail you know looks shabby around the edges yeah. but my goodness me they put some heart and they put some passion into it and, and everywhere yeah. is this Thing. I think a lot of the people involved in it are slightly embarrassed of because it does look a bit tatty, but I was 14 years old and it didn't, we didn't have television like that in this yeah. country. You know, we had the X Files and s- the Star Treks that were imported, but we weren't making British fantasy drama. And mm-hmm. and to see and again the contemporary world, mm-hmm. it's got some attention to darkness, the contemporary world of contemporary concerns blown up with the stakes of science fiction fantasy to say this this is this matters. This is you know. The knock-ons of these people's small lives, yeah. it, you know, impacts the world. Um, all of that got deep under my skin. So I mean, uh, if you're talking about two big things that, 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 that nudged me onwards, uh, it would be Edge of Darkness and Neverwhere. But um, part of a rich tapestry <laughs> of viewing uh, throughout my life.
0: Yeah, and were you the kind of child that was there, like writing little scripts no. and trying to put me your own things?
1: Always not in the slightest. On? It's funny, I wasn't. It's funny, you talk to a lot of um, writers and they were very bookish and they were very readerly and I, I wasn't. I just watched a lot. I mean, I watched a lot of television. Yeah. Um. And I in, in, in just ingested everything but I think I think back to those years and I, I speak to other writers and I'm like, yes, I was writing plays for my sister and yes, I was writing short stories. I wasn't doing any of that but what I was doing, I was playing mm. and I was a play. you know, especially you hit that age and you get your teens so where it's not cool to play anymore but everyone secretly mm. kind of still does with their figures and toys. I just kinda of went really late in life doing that. I e with my Lego and with my you know, G.I. Joe figures or whatever, right into my teens I was telling quite long ga- games that I played over weeks and months and years even some of them. Effectively telling a so I don't know, running my own soap opera yeah. um in my bedroom. And that was where I told story. That's where I worked out stuff. That's where I made up myths and you know, legends yeah. and, and and told all those things. I mean that said I used to my brother I was a big Enid Blighten fan, and so I did used to make up little mystery stories for him, and act them out. Um, but I never wrote them down. It was I've never I was never a writer. Mm. I always just came up with them, did them like, in the moment, and the, uh, then and there for him and stuff. But I never I never scripted it. I mean, I'm dyslexic, so that mm. may be an element of why the physical act of writing yeah. it down. But then, uh, talk to any writer, the physical act of writing it down is the easiest bit. The slog. And the work is the working out how A connects to B, how this all fits together, you know, the jigs of it. That's that's 90% of the work. The actual clack, 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 yeah. hitting keys is... That's the easy bit, really. Um, so that was, yeah, that's, I guess, where my stories came from, that kind of creative, active imagination, I guess.
0: <laughs> and do you still find now when you're kind of, you know, at home and you're writing Garrett, are you sort of doing, like, sort of almost narrating the story to yourself as you're writing it out or is it sort of something more internal?
1: I think uh, it's... Well I, well, I think it's internal but then my wife says, why are you talking to yourself? <laughs> and you're actually... I was like, talking to myself? Well, more like shouting to yourself, do you? <laughs> oh, right, so it's not internal at all. It clearly feels internal to me. Um, I Yeah, I go for... I tend to not want to write it down physically until I know what I'm doing. I'm not... You know, sometimes deadlines dictate that you've just got to start typing now but ideally I, I would rather go for walks I would rather keep notebooks I would rather pace around the flat and talk aloud and act it out and just run it over my head again and again and again and if I can do that then coming to write it down is fairly straightforward and, and you never work out everything, I mean that's, it would be a total you know, sort of, it would be creating a sort of false impression to say you have the entire story, every single line worked out in your head, that's not the important bit, it's the big sweep of who they are, where are they go in What's going to change in this scene? You get that, then, then then there's a discovery in writing because you come up with a funnier line, or yeah. you come up with a cleverer way to end it, or you come up with a you go actually the story it's not about that, it's about this, and that happens in the in the physical act of typing it down. But that's a joy once you know the big stuff, and the big stuff I think for me anyway, has in my head it's why I don't like doing outlines and why I don't like doing pitch documents. It's a, something you just have to do um, in this industry, but it, it kind of almost, for me anyway, prematurely forces you to kind of commit to things that ideally you'd stew on and ideally you'd work. And usually in the process anyway, it all gets changed and then up something completely different. Yeah. So if we could just skip that stage, it would be very <laughs> nice. But um, sadly, I can't convince anyone that that's anyone else that's a good idea. But um,
0: Good. Um, so that leads us on quite nicely um, to the programme that you're most proud of working on so far in your career. Yeah.
1: It's a, it's, a, it's a funny one writing because so much of what you do is behind the scenes and, and for every episode you get on air or something you've probably worked on two or three other things that were either in development that got to various stages or you know were up for being commissioned and and you know are still in process or still haven't happened and stuff and so there's a couple of things that have been really thrilling this year that I'm kind of, I've signed non-disclosure agreements about mm-hmm. so I kind of can't tell so can't, mysterious. Can, yeah, 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 I know it makes me sound uh, Oh, and you know I mean as, as, as you know in this industry, especially in the, in the, in the writing side of things, you, every 10 or 12 projects you develop, one will go somewhere and you will yeah. see where they go. But they're kind of a couple of really thrilling things at the moment. But one, in terms of when I worked on, and we were talking before we started, how do you choose? They're all my babies, you know, I love them all. And it's true, every script of mine that's, that's been produced and gone out, there's a real love for it because you live with it and you live inside it and stuff. But there is an episode I did of. Scottish drama called River City. Um, it was my first episode of that actually. Just really proud of it because we... It was at the end of the series when um, a lot of the actors weren't available anymore and scheduling things meant that we didn't... The ground shifted on us a lot and that's that that, that happens in these things and, and we didn't know till quite late in the day who... Which cast would have available, what locations mm. would have available, what... Um, what the scope of the story was going to be, because it was meant to be a two-parter, and um, again because of these logistical things, what was going to be my episode and what was going to be the next person's episode was in flux until very late in the day, and it was just an amazing, just one of those moments where you look at something and it's so so precarious, and yet everyone rallied round it, everyone came together, and I think it's one of the best best things I've ever done, and it's you know a lot of people may have not have seen it; it only goes out in Scotland. It's um, and yet the director just, just brought. St- their A, B, C and D game to it. I mean it is absolutely superb, it looks beautiful. Script editor, story department, myself and myself actually, yeah, I did quite a good yeah, job on that one. I did. <laughs> no, but I did. And I felt like it was one of these ones where like in the process of doing it when you didn't know what we were doing, we just all had to just all hands to the deck. And actually in that moment, what came out of me in terms of writing and about these characters and a character I really care about really flew and really took took shape and um, I think it ended up as something very, very strong and um, certainly one of the things I've had the best response to so um, yeah that's uh, that's very particularly due, due to my heart yeah.
0: um,
1: River City Series 13 Episode 25 is oh. it's catchy title because <laughs> they don't have episode names but um, yeah, um, yeah, yeah I'm very fond of that indeed
0: Good and for anyone that's sort of non-Scottish how would you how anyone would you describe River City? because how, how it's not something I've ever thought yeah
1: through. well um, I'm aware of it you're, but you're but missing I'm out um, it's BBC Scotland's continuing drama series um so it's, um, it's, it is a soap opera in terms of shape and form, but it, it, they're in one-hour installments rather than half-hour installments, um, which is quite unique. Um, you know, most one-hour shows tend to have something of like a story engine, like a, your casualties, hobbies, or medical um, machinery yeah. around the story to keep to get fill an hour out, whereas most soap operas are EastEnders and your Emmerdales and Corries, a half hour if it's that, River Cities. An interesting place of uh, being an hour but being a dom- mostly a domestic soap opera, mm. but it has. They, they very cleverly build little engines around that, around businesses in the community. Or um, the time I was, this is a couple of years back, I was doing this when there was a strong police presence in the show, and they went from being guest actor policemen that come in to arrest the regular characters to actually becoming regular characters and yeah. moving part of the soap opera into the police station, which actually was terrifically interesting it's the first crime drama I'd written and it especially because it was late in the run and we didn't have a lot of other people available to us. It gave us a really lovely shape and got to write a little... It's like a little Scandi noir, a little Glaswegian noir. noir. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we set in Glasgow. Uh, um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, we had a little sort of Glaswegian noir, like, it was like The Killing, but, you know, <laughs> but, on a, but, you know, it as a soap opera. And, um, yeah, so that's that show. And hopefully it will go one day out across the whole UK network, because I think it should, because the people there do a very good job yeah. and uh, work very hard to kind of produce something good and should be seen by more people.
0: Yeah, good. Um, cause is it, how, how long has it been on for? It's quite a long oh, time. Oh, um,
1: 2002 I think. Yeah. Um, it was created by a writer called Stephen Greenhorn who's um, a terrifically good guy and a um, well respected writer. He did that in the early 2000s and then it's it has run run until now and it has been a half hour format for a while and then one hour format Currently, and, um, and I was involved. I'm not currently working on the show. It's just a thing I enjoy doing. But um, I was there, 2013, 14,
0: 15. Yeah, great. With them. Um, and um, what was
1: the program that you wish you worked on? Oh, program I wish I worked on. Yeah. This is great. I feel like, well, you know, this industry, Holly. It's like trying to get your next job, I feel Like I'm insulting loads of people when I'm like, uh, or um, like, uh, but I mean, in not all truthfulness is as as programs. There's programmes you watch and you like, isn't there? And then there's programmes you watch and you wish, oh, I wish, I wish yeah. I'd, ca- I'd come up with that, or, or, or I, I had worked on that. I mean, I am a dyed-in-the-wool Doctor Who fan and would give my teeth to be involved with that um, yeah. show or any of its um, assorted spin-off material. <laughs> um, I mean, no, but that was, like I was saying earlier, that was a show that I had very fond memories of as a child but hadn't been able to get into because... I just they cancelled it when I was too young to really remember yeah. it but it's something I sought out and discovered in the wilderness years they call it when it wasn't on and um, fell quite deeply in love with it and I say became a writer around the time it came back sort of triumphantly and they were really good in that so they pushed the writers front and centre um, in terms of how they promoted it and in terms of how they gave you a behind the scenes look and it was a phenomenally a useful way to get your head around how to write they put a lot of scripts into the public domain yeah. um the Russell Davidson was the executive producer, wrote a book about how he wrote it yeah I read that, that book very good oh, oh it's amazing um, I mean there's a lovely quote by Stephen Moffat on, <laughs> on the on the jacket that says if you still want to be a reader ah, sorry if you still want to be a writer after reading this book uh, you will be because it's <laughs> it's in, it's incredibly sort of honest and bold about how difficult it is but I read it and at the time I was trying to become a writer and it just inside me just went that's what I want to do and so to work on that show would be you know would would be a, um, a dream come true yeah. and um, a hugely exciting thing and um, yeah. yeah so that's a programme I would very much like to be involved in if you're yeah. listening Chris Chibnall <laughs> please please um, but I mean lots of terrific things on and exciting dramas at the moment so I mean yeah. it's a good time to be around and, and working Yeah. Uh,
0: Really good. Um, And what's the programme that you're
1: loving watching at the moment? It's funny, because there's so much telly these days, isn't there? And there's so much drama these days. And funny, I realise we're watching an awful lot of stuff, and I sort of step back and went, how much of it's really good? Because Mm -hmm. we're officially in this golden age, which slightly narks me, because I grew up watching Our Friends in the North, and as I said, Edge of Darkness, and Jim McGovern's Cracker, and... You go, sorry, we're in the golden age now. Um, it, it's funny how the kind of me- media circles outside television, you know, uh, the chattering classes are sort of calling our, our, our current era a golden age. And there's some amazing stuff, but there's a lot of drama coming out. You're going, it's, it's hitting some things for me and not hitting other things for me. And then the show I'm going to talk about came on, and I was like, oh no, but that I love. I don't just think this is clever, I don't just think this is expensive. I love this and I love what it's doing and it was um, I feel I should choose something really obscure and indie that no one will seen but it's <laughs> so cool um, like choosing your favourite band but it's Stranger Things um, oh, yeah. which is just because it's big you know it's one of these prestige dramas it's expensive it's all that sort of stuff that so many of the other ones have and yet I wasn't just watching it to get to the box set to say I'd watched it I found myself desperate to know what happened next desperate to see where it went because I think it was done with such it wasn't calculated. It was done with real heart. I mean, it's, it's a precision-honed machine. <laughs> like it's a, it's a thing of beauty to watch as a writer. It's so well put together and streamlined and focused. But it's not... It doesn't feel like it's doing that to impress you. It felt like it was doing that to be true to its story world. Mm. And it was, a little, it was a light bulb moment for me because going watching all these big-name shows to say I've seen them, and they're all quite good. Yeah. but they're not and honestly I'm not knocking I'm not naming them for one thing but I'm not knocking <laughs> them um, but the idea that suddenly this era is somehow miles and miles ahead of previous years very very kind of you know I used to have friends that were like oh don't watch television I don't I don't, mm. don't look at it I don't watch it I don't you know I'm not into that sort of thing I'm a bit snooty about it and then obviously the box set era comes along and have you seen The Wire have you seen have you seen Breaking Bad and the great shows But well, he's not knocking them they're wonderful but it's like television didn't get good five years ago drama didn't get good five years ago it's always gosh I've gone on a bit of a rant here haven't I, um, good, I like there's always, but there's always been been that and I think in somewhere in the current box set culture there's a lot of shows that are just quite good quite good yeah. and that's great I mean goodness me making television is really hard making anything that's even passable <laughs> is a huge achievement but to make something quite good is great but in terms of something that actually made me go no this has got heart and soul and um Passion through it like a stick of rock. Yeah. Um, it was Stranger Things and t- just came away with a smile on my face every time. Um, so that was something I'm loving at the moment. Yeah. Um, oh, it's just finished, but it will come back. It's, it's, back, it's yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um,
0: do you think that it's helped that you obviously grew up sort of consuming a lot of culture in the 80s? Yes. And that sort of fed in and potentially made it more.
1: It's funny because it's slightly before my era. So it's the kind of I was. Um, those films that it's referencing I saw on video in the yeah. 90s so I would have seen, seen Stand By Me I would have seen E.T. I would have seen um, you know all, all that kind of Spielberg milieu. like I, I grew up on like I was too young for Star Wars I was too young for Indiana Jones Really, I discovered them all in the 90s so I yeah. have a sort of, maybe it's slightly an arm's length from it but I think it's not this, it's really the nostalgia nostalgia's not the hook for me on that one at mm-hmm. all it is it is the Characters, I mean, it's, it's pre digital. I think that's the hook for me. It's it's, uh, okay. it's, it's the pre digital world, the world where you had to radio your friends yeah. or phone them, you know, the, the world where you didn't get your information online, where your world was small. And maybe, I think I'm right on the border between, oh gosh, this is going to sound really pretentious, but between sort of Generation X and the millennial. Thing, I'm right on the border there, age wise. And I do think it kind of perhaps the last generation that, that lives were genuinely small. Mm. Whose lives were your your hometown? Whose lives were your? Yeah. And maybe that is part of the draw of Stranger Things. Is it is it's a heart back to, you slightly deeper into that territory yeah. of. Um, yeah, when your world was those four friends, and your world was those four people you you knew. and yeah. The local sinister, plant is taking over the world. Whatever you know, yeah. it's um. I think that's the draw for me with, with, with it, but I don't think it's. that's not enough, because I think, as I was saying, there's a lot of good high concept stuff out there that doesn't grab your heart and soul. I think it was. going back to the things I love, My Neverwhere and Edge of Darkness, it was the, it was the supernatural, the sci fi being used to blow the stakes up for a lost child, for yeah. a lost friendship, for a. gosh, there's a thing about it, it's all about nostalgia, isn't it, that show? So, yes, it literally lost people in your life. Yeah. Um, being the heart of that. So I think yeah, that that that's where that grabbed me. Um, yeah. it's a very very rambling answer.
0: Oh no it's good. Dear
1: listeners um
0: So <laughs> here for yeah. the meat. It's, it's, yeah, meet. Strange things meet. and are you someone that will kind of find something on Netflix and watch it all all in one go? Or do you try and I used to it. be
1: I used it's funny I used to be I went through I think in the beginning of sort of boxed culture I, yeah, we were devouring I mean I, I sort of was mentioning The Wire I adore The Wire I think it's one of the clever heartfelt smart pieces of television and yes the sort of thing with 50 hours were devoured in 50 days or yeah. something like that really not so much anymore. maybe we've got a young we've got a young baby so um, that's impacted our time a little bit we can watch <laughs> and also working in television I, you know I need to keep on top of can't just watch one box set Mm. religiously I need to be you know there's the shows I'm trying to get onto the shows I've got friends on there's shows new shows coming out that I want to see and so we've usually got three or four um series on the go um I do like to finish things so I do you know if if something annoys me after episode one I'm not coming back but if I've watched episode two or three or something I am then into into the end but these days it might take a lot longer I mean yeah box-it-binging on CBeebies, however, <laughs> um, I watch an awful lot of Sarah and Duck at, uh, and Twirly Blues, which are actually both marvellous and uh, really great bits of television, But the, when the, mostly to keep the baby happy, but I do notice when she falls asleep, I am uh, just popping on another Sarah and Duck, <laughs> just for death, and then another Sarah and Duck, so maybe that's nonsense, I am binge-watching, I'm just binge-watching children's <laughs> cartoons, um, but charming, smart children's cartoons yeah. so uh, um,
0: and do you feel like there are going to be certain like children's TV series you're going to be kind of pushing her towards oh, when she gets older? Oh yeah, I mean obviously
1: we ha- have watched a fair bit of Doctor Who together, me and the baby. And um, children's TV, yeah, there'll be certain classics I'll, 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 I'll want her to see and I want her to be brought up on. Um, I always loved things that were before my time when I was a kid. I loved stuff from the. Um, I still love watching black and white films and black and white. Um, Old TV shows, yeah. you know, even as a teenager, when you really weren't in the nineties, we're not mm-hmm. supposed to be interested in black and white television or whatever. I used to love all that, so I mean, I, I hopefully will instill that sort of thing in her, but um, I just need to make sure it's actually stuff that is suitable for children because I was watching things like Edu- *House of Cards*, the original British *House of Cards*. <laughs> That's a thing that drives me nuts. Everyone was on the new *House of Cards*, I'm like, but the original was, you know, again, it's this golden age of television. We did yeah. that show. 20, 30 odd years ago and um, and it was great but I watched that as a kid as well again, not appropriate um, in in the slightest and probably concerning actually if you think about it but I don't know that immersion in quality drama young you know, I think as a slightly conscientious period no, I'm not going to let her watch things like that but I, I, I don't mind her at watching grown-up TV as long as it's not going to scar or whatever but yeah. that teaches her about the world because... It's funny. I, I, I just I guess my kind of my kind of old bugbear about the whole kind of suddenly being in a golden age of television is the idea of it got good now. I, it's that literary culture that says you know reading is worth your while, um, classical music is worth your while, television being somehow a junk medium or whatever. Yeah. And I and I I really re- resent that and I resent that on a class issue because I think um, they want you know, to educate, inform and entertain actually really matters to people and you know and folks that don't have access to maybe you know huge amounts of books as kids who didn't have a huge amount you know couldn't go to ballet lessons or whatever you know the television is this amazing democratizing thing that was in my life and i was i was a kid from a poor background at school and i got my education from the television and i remember in a few there's a few classes at school i was not allowed to answer questions in anymore because i knew it all already because I'd watched Horizon, because I'd watched People's Century, because I, yeah. you know, I, I was the person that knew that the crucible was about the McCarthy witch hunt trials, yeah. and I was wasn't allowed to answer questions. And it was because of the television. It was because I watched telly. And then you go to university and you hit this culture where like, oh, we don't watch television, or oh, we just read, we just like that. And then yeah. suddenly now everyone's like, oh, have you started watching all this stuff? You know, <laughs> I, I'm making V signs, dear listener, um, here, because that made me who I was, and that educated me, and that gave me the language and the tools to navigate the world, and gosh, I really have gone on a rant here, but what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that it, it really matters to me. Yes, and so my child, I want her to understand the value of television, the wonder of television, and you know, that's why I don't work in this, because I needed a job. I don't work in this because it was easy, because boom and heck, there were easier things to do than try and be a TV drama writer, yeah. as, as you know, yeah. Ollie. <laughs> um, I'm doing it because I love it and because this medium matters and I want, yeah, I want my little one to understand that. She might not like it, she might want to do something else, yeah. but I at least want her to have the opportunity to see the, see the value of that if that's
0: yeah.
1: in any way an answer.
0: That's a great answer, no, it's very well, good. Good. Um, cool. So, to completely take things off in a different direction, did you collect anything as a child?
1: Did I collect anything as a child? I kind of wish I collected things as a child. <laughs> I never had the I never had the... Well, I didn't have the resources to do anything, any sort of fine, you know, to finish things off. I didn't have... Um, I'm just not quite OCD enough and not quite so in the enough to need to have the complete set of anything. But I... Polished glass, that was my thing, cool. at the beach. You know when you go to the beach yeah. and you get bottles and they've been yeah. sanded down by, by the by the waves over over time? I had a big bag of, of sanded glass. And... Um, and uh, yeah, I, I used to like collecting. I mean, I just loved Lego, but I wasn't. I didn't collect Lego. I didn't yeah. want. I didn't want it to stay on my shelf in a pristine thing. I wanted more bricks to yeah. build to build another space station or another castle. You know, it was just me making stuff up. So I didn't. It wasn't like I had the full set of pirate Lego yeah. or anything like that. I just wanted. Just if anyone got me Lego for anything, I was delighted. Um, <laughs>
0: And what was, what was the biggest Lego thing that you ever made? Because I was ter- I would make like part of a wall, and then I'd get bored, and I'd go away.
1: Oh, you were talking to someone who went very, very far in the direction <laughs> of that. I was actually, it's funny, and it's actually really weird it's come full circle, because they just, um, you know, the Lego computer games are big now. Yeah. And I was uh, saying I didn't, there wasn't much TV fantasy or sci-fi on. There was one show that I loved as a kid, which was Red Dwarf, which was, oh, yeah. again, just massive in the early 90s. And, you know, it was obviously, it was all meant to be an adult, Growing up, comedy, but everyone at school watched it. It was the coolest thing at school. Everyone watched it, and I built a, 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 a Lego spaceship based on Red Dwarf. No, wow. copyright, no copyright infringement. If anyone's listening, <laughs> it was simply based, inspired by uh, fair usage. As a child, doing that, but I built one. It was probably a meter long by half a meter wide um, spaceship with like a, cr- but like it wasn't just like we kids build a spaceship with a, a cockpit. It had a cockpit, I had a kitchen, I had a <laughs> garden, I had bedrooms, I had bunks, I had bathrooms, I had engine rooms. And I built it, and I kept it as a piece for probably three years. And I told my little ongoing space saga that, oh. I, that I that I made. And so they've just funny. They're just when the Lego computer games included a Red Dwarf Lego level. Oh really? And it was this weird sort of moment for me, going like, "Oh my goodness, somebody else thought of it yeah. like that and, and made it that way." And that, that when that happened recently, that made me really happy because um, I say I. I it was huge, and it, intro- and it wasn't. It wasn't enough for it to have I had like working airlocks. didn't just have a door. You had to have an <laughs> airlock system that worked. So you know, um, I had all that built onto it. And every time I got more Lego, I pretty much just broke down whatever I was given. Yeah. Oh, trains! That's great. Bro, broke it down. Add it to this. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was the largest Lego thing I ever built. Yeah. And I think only when I left home did it get did it get broken up. Oh, it's um, sad time. It is.
0: It's it's the end of childhood. <laughs> so I'm
1: pretty sure I could re- reconstruct it from memory. I'm pretty sure I could. I. I Probably could, Probably, yeah.
0: Did, you, um, I'm did never you out of work. That's, <laughs> what I'll, that's what I'll
1: be doing. What are you doing at the moment, Chris? I'm playing with Lego. Um, um, did
0: you Did you play the Red Wolf level on the Lego well, game?
1: Well, no, because I don't have the computer game. Yeah. Um, that I, I I don't have. Um, I mean, I, I should do. I'm a gamer. I love it. I just haven't got into purchasing that Lego computer game. Having a baby. It, it Real really, d- it really does. It really does suck your your time out of things. But um, I will do. But yeah. I um, just knowing it exists.
0: Yeah, brought, brought it'll a, be interesting. A, s- a smile to my face. Interesting to compare. Yeah, your version right. with the with the Lego. Yeah, sort of the thing, official. Yeah. Um, did you watch the? sort of new because they, they, they have Brent done yes bit, yes yes uh-huh. did um, you watch any of that oh,
1: did I watch did I go to the premiere at the Edinburgh oh, um, television yeah. festival yes I did <laughs> and um, I sat near the front and cheered no it's been a delight to watch and um, do you know, um, i delight to watch that show find its voice again and find um, you know the, it's a massive brand and it could have been, and, and perhaps wasn't it always cherished by the people who who we're broadcasting it, yeah, and to see it find a home and find that love, and yes, it's obviously done on a digital channel and probably done on a much tighter budget and scale. Mm. But to see those stories be told again and and to be telling sci-fi stories that could only be told now, I'm not sure. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. And it's been a proper delight to see, and I've actually gone quite hard into the into the fandom world. I seem to have found myself on forums every <laughs> night and stuff. It's but uh, well, I'm not feeding a baby um, or, or finishing your scripts, dear producers. Um, <laughs> Then yeah, I seem to have really embraced that again.
0: Yeah. Um, And are there any sort of upcoming Because I know like *Handmaid's Tale* is out quite soon, and the new *American Gods* is out quite soon. Oh yes, yes, yes! I'm a fan of
1: the books, so looking forward to seeing that. Are there any other
0: big sort of sci-fi things on the horizon that you're excited about?
1: I, I, I'm excited about. I, I like to be surprised by things. It's funny. I'm not. I, I spent a lot of years and a lot of internet. Geeky culture is always about watching the trailer for this, reading spoilers for this, yeah. looking ahead to that, and I started realising that it was spoiling my enjoyment of things. Awesome. Often because the best parts of something were in the trailer, or you watch a trailer for something and you—I'm sure everyone does if it's a writer, you instantly create a version of that film in your head. And it therefore, doesn't no matter how good it is, doesn't match up when yeah. you see it. And so I'm almost—I—I I try like I used to. I used to be the kind of person that sat on Doctor Who fan forums and watched them filming, and every time the fans got pictures of stuff, and actually. I, Kind of don't want to do that anymore. Uh, I want to be surprised by, it's terribly old-fashioned, but I want to be surprised by stories as it's told to me, yeah. and I want to be uh, let a storyteller meet me and surprise me. So yes, I'm excited about these big things coming up, but I'm not looking into them because I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to start the story at the start yeah. and have the writers and directors and actors take me on a journey again. Yeah. That yeah. which actually is how I, all the things I love with my whole heart. All these these shows that w- were things that I watched when they were on I didn't have a preconceived notion of them I didn't have that so I'm trying to be quite hands off with that yeah. and much happier for it and enjoying things much more for it you know I managed it with the new Star Wars films Yeah. everything else went nuts on the trailers and I just was like I'm not going to watch them because when I was 10, 12 years old and I first saw Return of the Jedi I didn't know what was going to happen I just, and I want that experience again and I think we devalued I think part of our culture does devalue that experience we want spoilers now we want all that stuff up yeah. front, and so even you know, I don't w- try not to watch next time trailers for things now because
0: yeah,
1: um, I know that they're important and they hook people, and it's great, but I'm gonna watch anyway, so you know,
0: yeah,
1: I don't need to do May that as
0: well. Leave it purely, yeah, pu- pure. pure, a
1: pure experience,
0: yeah, I uh, guess. There. And, and are you not then someone that's sort of following like the Instagram or the Twitter or the Facebook groups
1: for uh, stuff? Mm, not really, no, not yeah. really, no. Um, I, I, I. My, my online I, I follow people I know so I, I follow mostly producers and writers yeah. because a that's how work comes is from knowing people and sharing your passion with them and so you know I, I don't think that's a cold hearted and networking. it's not it's like well I want to know the people in my industry and what they're doing and if I've loved what they're doing I'm, I'm going to tell them yeah. I loved it and if you know we we. Book a report for that, and that leads to work, and that's happened in the past. That that's all really good, but I don't not the show particularly, not yeah. the films particularly, not the. I don't need to see that stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, behind the scenes stuff I think is fascinating after I've seen something. Yeah. Um, give me give me all that, but yeah. I don't want to see it ahead of time. Um, but obviously, people do, and it's a good that they make. Yeah. It's all their friends and work making these <laughs> things great. Um, yeah. I am not the, I'm not the audience for that sort of thing.
0: And um, last question from me. But not least. What's your signature dish? My
1: signature dish, you mean that I make? Yeah. Or that I. Oh, yeah. gosh. I am. <laughs> signature dishes. I have three dishes, oh. only that I basically just return to <laughs> all the time. And, <laughs> um, dear listener, they're all from a packet um, or from a jar um, that I've heated up um, using electricity in a, in a pot. <laughs> um, and they call it cooking. Um, I, I cook. Some people do it for the love of it i do it because um my body will waste away and die <laughs> if, if i don't consume things um i'll well, no, tell you what sorry, i made my first ever pancakes yesterday i'm 34 years old <laughs> listener and i made my first ever pancakes yesterday um well partly um, in in our house my wife and i are, are a modern family and we have fair division of labor and all sorts of things but she I like I like doing house cleaning, so I do that. She likes cooking, so you know, find find your passion and do it, <laughs> don't you? But um, I, we're having the baby. I've taken on a lot more of the cooking stuff at the moment, and I, well, I, I pretend I don't enjoy it, and actually I have got quite into into. <laughs> I did make a sweet chili sauce from scratch the other night, which was quite. Uh, Achievement. You do yeah, down, yeah like I, I am doing myself it's not down. A my my crop, Monsieur, is not is not is is not too shabby when it when it happens. And uh, yeah, I made pancakes for the first time yesterday.
0: Good
1: flipping and, action. Oh, beautiful flipping action. <laughs> um, didn't didn't burn any of them. They were consumed by by all. The baby had her first pancakes yesterday, and oh. she um, scoffed them. So I think I am. Obviously, I think the thing with me is, if I discover I can make something. That's all I want to do. I've done that. (laughs) So I was making pancakes this morning and I'm going to make some tomorrow until everybody else is sick to death of them because um, I would live on the same, if it was up to me, I'd cook the same two meals because it's headspace and in all seriousness, you live as a writer with the the script you're finishing, the script you're you're halfway through, the script you're starting, the script you'd really like to do, the script you're convincing someone to do. That's kind of enough to have in your head and Hold down relationships and friendships and pay your bills and all that sort of yeah. stuff and so I'm not really looking for <laughs> anything else. so if I can simplify any other part of life down to I know how to make that curry yeah. or I know how to make that chicken dish then yeah then frankly I'm happy um bores, bores everybody else to tears uh <laughs> and and it needs to be nudged to do other things but um that's you know for yeah. me I'm like well if I don't need to think about something all to the good yeah. all to the good
0: And on that note, we'll end we'll end the podcast.
1: Cool. Well Thanks thanks very much Chris. That's all right, thank you. Pleasure.